Hey y'all, my name is Emily Nelms-Chastain, and I'm glad to be with you on this fourth edition of the 2022 Read Together podcast. If you haven't met me, I'm an ordained deacon with the North Alabama Conference, who is currently appointed to school at Boston University School of Theology, where I'm working in my second year on a PhD in American Church History and Methodist Studies. That, of course, means I have had to thoroughly adjust my wardrobe for a much colder climate, but I've gotten really good at building fires in the fireplace since we've been in a pretty good seven-day stretch of freezing temps. Either way, I'm really glad to be with you today as we work through these scriptures together. I've pulled two of the scriptures to hone in on God's callings in our lives. Since it's a new-ish year, It's an opportunity to think about fresh beginnings and new endeavors. This week's scriptures allow us to do just that in considering how God grants peculiar calls to those that follow God. Today, I'll be reading from Genesis 15, 1 through 6, and Matthew 9, 35 through 10, 7 in the New Revised Standard Version. Please join me in hearing these words. Genesis 15, 1 through 6. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abraham said, You have given me no offspring, and so a slave born in my house is to be my heir. But the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. No one but your very own issue shall be your heir. He brought him outside and said, Look toward the heaven and count the stars, if you're able to count them. Then he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And Abraham believed the Lord, and the Lord reckoned it to him as righteousness. Hear now these words from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 9, verses 35 through chapter 10, verse 7. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Then Jesus summoned his 12 disciples and gave them authority over every unclean spirit to cast them out and to cure every disease and every sickness. These are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, also known as Peter, and his brother, Andrew, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother, John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the Cananean, and Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed him. 
These 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. As you go, proclaim the good news. The kingdom of heaven has come near. How many of you remember your first job? For some of us, that's a lot further back uh, than we want to admit. My very first job was in a deli. I was 16, freshly licensed to drive and ready to prove my independence. Let me tell you, working in a deli, this is the very first time that I had seen any other type of deli meat other than turkey and ham. In fact, I had very few skills to bring into that job. Since elementary school, I had played basketball and volleyball. Oh, my cooking skills weren't actually great. I nearly failed my home economics class by burning spaghetti. Yet here I was ready to make some dough and conquer the world. In a manager's eyes, I had to have been the perfect candidate for a job in sandwich making, right? Actually, now that I think about it, it's actually miraculous that I was even hired. (laughs) But thankfully, I had both a manager and a trainer who knew how to walk me through what I needed to do, how it needed to be done, how to use a commercial toaster and a deli slicer in a way that avoided me several trips to the emergency room. Throughout our lives, we all have types of experiences and opportunities. Each of these a chance in a way to engage God in ways that we are called. Sometimes they don't make sense. Sometimes it's blatantly obvious what's going on. But every day, every week, every year, we all have something that is consistent. God calls us. God moves us. God compels us. God brings us out of the unknown and out of fear. There tends to be an inconsistency that we often have in a emotions about these new instructions. And I guess that a lot of us also concoct a fair share of opinions about what God is doing. In fact, sometimes it's just outright crazy what God commissions us to do. For some, the tasks are very easy. For others, they are unbelievably difficult. On paper, it looks as though God calls people with no skills or great experience. God empowers the people to which we would have never given a chance. God invites people that we would never seat at our own tables. These resumes are ghastly. They come with really sketchy recommendations. And then if we put these two stories from Genesis and Matthew into our own context, even though we've known these great stories of faith in the Bible all of our lives, It's sometimes hard to imagine how great of a faith these tasks actually required. On one hand, you have Abraham and Sarah called to be the parents of an entire nation. Parents. Yet at this point in scripture, this is something that we know that Abraham and Sarah have yet to be, though they have longed for it deeply. Sarah is well past her prime of childbearing days. Abraham is advanced in his age as well. 
Abraham questions God continuously about this. How exactly will he and Sarah be father and mother to a nation when they cannot even have their own child, much less a quiverful required to create a nation? God's calling and commission likely sound like a really cruel joke. And with this commission, as hysterical as it may have sounded, Sarah probably experienced a lot of fear too. Fear that it wasn't just a joke. Deep longing that she desired to have a child for all of her life. Fear that she might lose the precious blessing to something terrible. Fear that she would be mocked if she believed in what God would say and it turned out to be a false narrative. Fear of being ostracized. Because God can do something so miraculous, people have no idea how to respond. Sarah is just like any other woman, dying to be a mother, feeling this entire array of emotions that are flooding in. Similarly for Abraham, can you imagine your own astonishment of hearing such news at his age? God says, I'm going to make you a father to all these nations. You're not going to be able to count them. Does he want to throw out a sarcastic comment to God? Yeah, sure, God. Is he falling silence by his overwhelming doubt or his clouded sense of fear? Knowing that God had promised him that he would be this father to all nations, that your wife is well beyond her years of childbirth, can you fully believe God's covenant when you've been waiting for every single day to experience the joy of parenthood while watching the possibilities of it diminish before your very eyes? Or is it believing in something that you really can't wrap your head around because it just isn't feasible or rational? God's calling, God's covenant can sometimes seem so irrational and illogical. On the other hand, we read a New Testament version of callings in Matthew 8 through 10, where Jesus calls forward this ragtag bunch that we know as the disciples. Jesus sees that there is so much to do in his neighborhood and beyond, and he makes this large call for help. Of course, this isn't your typical neighborhood barn raising. These are situations that Jesus is calling for help. Their life or death, salvation and grace. And Jesus takes this completely irrational move, calling these bunches of men whose resumes don't show that they know how to pastor a church, that they know how to teach doctrine or faith or much less restore people's hope in God. (laughs) Let's not even talk about bringing forth miraculous wonders. Jesus summons fishers, tax collectors, the untrustworthy, the stereotyped, and those whose identity is solely based on their relationship to someone else. These are people who either don't have a high place in society or they're despised by others for their cruel acts of selfishness or dismay for the needy. Yet Jesus calls them forward to do the great work of the church. 
to preach, to heal others, to resurrect the dead. And not only did Jesus assign them new work that is so unlike their long tenured careers, it's an unpaid internship. If I'm one of those disciples at that moment, I am not going to lie, I would have been incredibly skeptical. And I probably would have laughed nervously. Yeah, okay, Jesus. I can only imagine what they may have been wondering in the back of their minds. Really? I mean, seriously? I really only know how to fish. Never been a speaker. In fact, if I speak while I'm out here on the water, it scares the fish. And you want me to preach in front of people? Eh, I think you may have the wrong person, Jesus. Or maybe, hey, Jesus, I know that you just called me because of my brother's good name, but uh, this isn't really what I had panned out for my life. The whole backpacking evangelist life just isn't for me. Or maybe it's just about making a living. Yeah, I uh, just can't put that much faith into knowing where, not knowing where my next meal is going to come from. Or where I'll sleep tonight. No offense, Jesus. uh, But I've got a pretty sure gig already where I am. Of course, these are hypotheticals. And sometimes you have to think about what happens in between the lines of these scriptures. But in both of these cases, if you're in the shoes of the disciples or you're in the shoes of Abraham and Sarah, God calls you to something big. You've probably thought, this is so far out of my league, I don't even know where to begin. In fact, we've all been in these shoes. And at some point, we've tried to talk God out of calling us on that one incomprehensible task. And this is pretty much the point behind God's covenants and commissions. They're so big, you can't do them alone. You have to depend on your faith in God to help guide your path. Your resume doesn't determine your gifts and graces any better than your family name. And your work experience certainly never prepared you for this role. Instead of finding the right person with the right experience for the job, God is looking for those who have the right teachable spirit and an overflowing heart of love. God doesn't advertise for these kind of positions. In fact, God simply states, there's work to be done and humanity is needed. And then God typically calls people that we would usually consider the wrong kind of people for the job. As we have the benefit on this side of history in these scriptures, we see that God knows best. Through the faithfulness of Sarah and Abraham moving forward into the impossible, a new generation is born follows the heart of God, and engaging in a covenant that will last for many generations. Through the willingness of the disciples to walk into an unknown that couldn't possibly go well in their minds, Jesus spreads the message of his love and grace to people who were hungry for inclusion. Patricia Adams Farmer says it this way, quote, for God is the gentle weaver who works with each ill-matched thread to bring about novel patterns of meaning and hope, unquote. This hope and meaning are exactly the type of God-sized activity 
that can turn the world upside down. And, but without us, the pattern remains incomplete. Every person on this planet is born into a world that is broken and needs healing. We are born into social structures that are harmful and need to be torn down. We are born into a world that thinks hate is the norm. Yet each one of us is called into this world to change it by sharing the gracious love of Christ that became our covenant with God. Think back to your own life and the calls that God has given to you. They probably seemed pretty ridiculous when they first happened. For me, I was a college student in a church that did not support women in leadership, that was still called to be in ministry to the world around me. In my head, I thought for sure God had no idea what was going on. These men around me said there was no chance that my understanding of God's call was correct. I nervously laughed. I feared and I ran. But as it turned out, as usual, God was right. Even when I doubted or tried to talk my way out of it. Now, I am yet a single thread woven into God's incredible yet illogical and irrational commission. So at the end of all of these stories, it begs us to ask of ourselves about our own callings and covenants. What is your story? How has God molded an imperfect you into the perfect person for your mission field? How different is your calling from another that makes it so intricately necessary to the greater woven work of God? God gives us big callings that require enormous faith in order to make God-like change in our world. Just as you've seen throughout the scriptures, God calls us into partnership to believe in the full story of God's salvation. God is calling you to join this God-sized vision in the world around you. And God is waiting for you to stop making excuses and get to work. Will you pray with me? God, so many times we just absolutely cannot make heads or tails of what you call us to do. It really requires us to lean so heavily into our faith that you really desire what is best for all of us and that you want to be in deep relationship with us. God, strengthen our faith. Help us to see your work in the world and want to be a part of it, no matter how illogical or irrational it may seem. And may our love for you and our love for people be so strong and unbreakable that nothing can deter us from the callings you give us. Amen. Amen.